0: People love using holidays as an excuse to drink. If you get drunk on a random night, you have a problem. If you do it on a holiday, it's culture. I think there's another reason why drinking gets added to certain holidays, because Cinco de Mayo, St. Patrick's Day, Mardi Gras all have one thing in common, and that's parades. And it's really hard to enjoy a parade without alcohol, isn't it? It's like it's filled with a lot of things we don't like. Standing for hours, marching bands, waving at people you don't know. After three floats, they all look alike. Who couldn't use a drink then? Hi, everybody. My name is Shauna, and this is the American English Podcast. My goal here is to teach you the English spoken in the United States. Through common expressions, pronunciation tips, and interesting cultural snippets or stories, I hope to keep this fun, useful, and interesting. Let's do it. Hello everyone. How's it going? All is good here. In that introduction, you heard Ellen DeGeneres in a video titled, Ellen Asks the Audience Why We Celebrate Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo means the 5th of May in Spanish. It's become an annual celebration filled with activity across the U.S. There's drinking, parades, mariachi music. And other cultural activities related to Mexican or Mexican American culture. What's odd though is most people born and raised in the US don't know why Cinco de Mayo is celebrated in general and why it's such a huge event here. In today's episode, you'll learn just that. To make this lesson extra fun, you'll hear a joke, practice pronunciation and learn important drinking vocabulary. By drinking, I mean drinking alcoholic beverages. So let's get to it and start with that joke. Are you ready? Why wouldn't the bartender serve the snake? Any ideas? Because he couldn't hold his liquor. (laughs) This is a simple one, let's go through it. A snake has no arms or hands, so he literally cannot hold his liquor. Liquor is, of course, a distilled drink. So vodka, tequila, rum, or gin are liquors. The humor in this joke is the fact that to hold your liquor has another meaning. We say that someone who holds their liquor well is someone who can drink quite a bit Without getting drunk, they might speak well and walk in a straight line after a few drinks. On the flip side, someone who cannot hold their liquor, like the snake, drinks and gets too drunk. Someone who can't hold their liquor might order a few cocktails or any type of alcohol for that matter and then start slurring their words, tripping and falling or maybe even vomiting. Yikes. Let's hear the joke one more time. Why wouldn't the bartender serve the snake? Because he couldn't hold his liquor, right? So the bartender was worried the snake would get too drunk or maybe drop the glass on the floor because he has no arms. In English, there are a few go-to words to describe the stages of someone's state while drinking. After one or two beers, someone might be tipsy. Some signs that someone is tipsy might be that they're more chatty and confident. One goes from being tipsy to being drunk. Right? So you've got those two steps there, tipsy and then drunk. In American English slang, it's common to say someone is plastered, hammered, or wasted if they are very drunk. A cop or doctor might use the term inebriated or intoxicated to sound more formal. They might also say they were under the influence. My mom might say, uh, or actually anyone who speaks in a playful way, as drunk as a skunk. When someone goes too far with their drinking activity, they might black out, meaning they won't remember the events that occurred at a specific point in time. Have you ever blacked out? Let's move on to the expression of the day, which is bottoms up. We'll go through the definitions first. Bottoms? Well, a bottom is the lowest part or sometimes the underside of something. Bottoms here refers to the lowest part of someone's cup or glass, the part that touches the table. Up, in this expression, is a direction. The opposite of down is up. In English, we say bottoms up right before drinking or chugging a beverage. It's similar to say drink up, or finish your drink. And it's especially common to use at a bar before taking a shot or drinking with others. Everyone lifts their glass, and at that moment, someone will likely say cheers or bottoms up. Let's go through some more examples when we would use this expression in real life situations. Example number one, imagine you are on a tour in Paris. And the tour guide has a very strict schedule for you. At 10 a.m., you'll visit a museum. At 12 p.m., you'll stop for lunch. And at 1 p.m., you'll visit the Eiffel Tower. There's not much time for lunch, just an hour. But your friends decide to go to a sit-down restaurant. When 1 p.m. approaches, if you still have glasses filled with wine, juice, beer, Whatever. (laughs) You might tell everyone, we're gonna be late, bottoms up. In other words, finish your drinks, empty your glasses, we gotta leave. Example number two Imagine you've got a cold and your mom brings you a little plastic cup filled with cough syrup. You already know it's going to taste like nasty artificial cherries, but you gotta drink it to feel better. You might look at your mom and say "bottoms up," and then down the liquid. So yes, you can say this expression to yourself before you drink. Example number three: Jamba Juice is a smoothie shop and chain in the United States. At Jamba Juice, you can order wheatgrass shots among many other smoothies, and wheatgrass shots are a sort of potent green juice that's supposed to get rid of toxins in the body, boost your immune system, help with digestion. Before drinking a shot of wheatgrass, someone might say bottoms up. In other words, drink it all up, finish your cup, down the hatch. So I hope that makes sense. You'll probably notice that in example number two, I said to down something. If I down a drink, it means that I drink it up fast. It's pretty much the same thing as chug. Chug brings back a sort of memory of college when people hosted keggers at their house, a keg filled with beer, and then they had people chug from that keg. Probably something you've seen in a college movie. Let's go through the pronunciation. Repeat after me. Bottoms up. Bottoms up. Bottoms up. Notice how the double T in the middle sounds like a D sound. Bottom. 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 Stress the first syllable. All I want to say regarding the double T in the middle of words is pay attention to the pronunciation of words that have two T's you'll notice that it is one of the pronunciation differences between American and some dialects of British English. Let's move on to the fun fact of the day, Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo is celebrated throughout the U.S. In fact, the biggest Cinco de Mayo celebration in the world is in Los Angeles, California. But what is Cinco de Mayo? So in Spanish, it means the 5th of May or May 5th. In the US, Cinco de Mayo translates to margaritas, Tex-Mex, parties, parades, and loosely a celebration of Mexican heritage and culture. Many Americans believe it's Mexican Independence Day. It's not. According to history.com, The origin of the holiday stems back to the Franco-Mexican War, and one battle in particular, the Battle of Puebla. To make a long story short, the Mexican government at the time was going through some rough financial times. When they were unable to pay their debts to Spain, France, and Britain, these countries came to Mexico demanding payment. Spain and Britain came to an agreement with Mexico, but Napoleon III, who ruled France at the time, wasn't satisfied. He saw an opportunity to create a French regime in Mexico. What came next? Battles began. Obviously, Mexicans were not happy with the idea of France wanting to create a regime there, and they weren't ready in terms of weaponry or experience to fight back. But there were people loyal to the Mexican government who were mentally ready to fight. In the Battle of Puebla, the Mexicans were outnumbered 6,000 to 2,000, or some sites say 8,000 to 4,000. I don't think the exact number is known. But somehow, the outnumbered Mexicans managed to protect the gates to the capital and force the French troops to retreat. It was a small victory in war, but it was an unexpected and impressive one. The general, General Zaragoza, who led the Mexicans, succeeded against France, who had one of the strongest armies at the time. His success in battle was hugely motivating for the resistance movement, and it was noteworthy enough that the municipality in Mexico where the battle took place was named after him. So that's a little bit heavy on history, but it brings about some questions. First of all, does Mexico celebrate Cinco de Mayo? Today, the battle is symbolically important in Puebla. The city of Puebla is now called the Puebla de Zaragoza, and they host an annual battle reenactment. They have parades and other sorts of celebrations. Uh, cities surrounding it as well. Britannica claims there's not a widespread celebration throughout Mexico on May 5th. In the United States, there is. So why? First of all, there are Chicanos, uh, which is a term used to refer to Mexicans born in the United States. At many universities in the U.S., Chicano studies is a major, just to throw that out there. Around the 1950s, a movement started in the U.S. to promote civil rights among Chicanos to push for more representation in society, and work. Leaders of the movement wanted to celebrate Mexican heritage and culture instead of hiding it. One way to do so was by adopting Cinco de Mayo as a way to spread the knowledge of Mexico's history, music, and culture. Yet, the celebration didn't really catch on outside of the Chicano communities until the 1980s, when big Mexican beer companies like Corona and Modelo started making TV advertisements. First, they targeted Latinos, then the U.S. public at large. And many ads showed icy cold beers next to beautiful beaches and colorful fiesta decor. This is when Americans outside of the Chicano communities got hooked. And throughout the years, it stayed that way. In cities with a lot of Mexicans or Chicanos, crowds are big. In Los Angeles, 300,000 people attend the Fiesta Broadway, which takes place in downtown LA with Mexican food and games and Latin music. In Chicago, there's normally a huge parade and fiestas around the city. As a visitor, you can take part, dance, learn how to make piñatas, and do other activities. You'll see lots of bottomless margaritas for sale, lots of sombreros, and things like that. At these sorts of events, you might find authentic food from Mexican street vendors and food trucks that offer mole, tortas, and tamales. You'll also find a lot of Tex-Mex, which is Mexican food adapted for the American palate. In general, you won't go without quesadillas, burritos, tacos. You'll definitely also find lots of chips and dip, so queso, salsa, and guacamole. Guacamole was actually invented in Mexico, but now it's commonplace in the U.S., and not only eaten with just Mexican food. And speaking of guacamole, the California Avocado Commission estimated that 87.3 million pounds of avocados were consumed in the U.S. on Cinco de Mayo in 2013, which is equivalent to about 175 million avocados. That's a lot of guac and a lot of money spent considering that the average avocado in the US cost about $1.70 in 2020, according to Statista. As for drinking, that's another story. Annually, Americans spend $2.9 billion on margaritas. In 2014, Americans drank 127 million liters. Of tequila and mezcal on Cinco de Mayo. One of the most popular brands, Jose Cuervo, contributed to 20 million liters of that. Today, nobody will deny that this event is commercialized. Millions of dollars are spent on advertising alcohol as the 5th of May approaches. Corona and Modelo are the sponsor for some of the big fiestas. And at the supermarket, you'll definitely find a lot of these products near the registers, prompting consumers to buy. In the end, it is one of the U.S.'s top five drinking holidays after Mardi Gras, New Year's Eve, St. Patrick's Day, and the 4th of July. Let's just say you can celebrate almost anywhere in the U.S. That's it for this episode. You know, I live in an area where there are a lot of Mexican immigrants, and I've realized that an individual's opinion about this holiday, or just celebration, varies from person to person. Although you'll find some people that think Cinco de Mayo is culturally insensitive, the fact that much of the history is forgotten, others really don't care. What's your opinion on the matter? This year, most big Cinque de Mayo events are not taking place because of COVID, but restaurants have reopened for indoor and outdoor seating in many places, so I guarantee there will be a lot of people dressed up, a lot of margaritas, and a lot of mariachi. So, bottoms up! Thank you for listening to this episode of the American English Podcast. Remember, it's my goal here to not only help you improve your listening comprehension, but to show you how to speak like someone from the States. If you want to receive the full transcript for this episode, or you just want to support this podcast, make sure to sign up to premium content on AmericanEnglishPodcast.com. Thanks and hope to see you soon.